On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus Peabody and I go into a deep, dark hole of nerdy information theory slash Kelly criteria, and I show how rusty I am in all things blackjack and analytics. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, bet. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The Welcome to the latest episode of the Bet the Process podcast where. Rufus Peabody and I are, I don't know, what are what are we right now? I'm very happy after that Celtics victory. The Celtics uh, one? Yeah, they does won. That, does that mean they're going to the finals? No, they still have one more win to get. I don't want to do anything to jinx it. Are they up three to two now, or is it three to three? It's three to two. Okay. Their next game is at home. Um their score differential in this series is is pretty high now for them. So theoretically, needing to win one game, but you know who knows, right? Obviously, there's there's still a lot left, but we we can talk about this in a second. Um, let's replay the PGA Championship and what's got you in this sort of obsession with hedging. Um, Tell me, a bit, tell me a little bit about Sunday morning, how you felt about golf and your golf bets. I felt very good. I, I really wanted Tony Finau, though, to beat Max Homa, Taylor Gooch, and... Uh, you realize, Charles like, Adam. you're bad at this, right? Like, I'm setting up a... I know. A moment to talk about, like, and jump know. into something specific. And you went into a complete non. People think I'm mean to you, right? And I am, but you kind of lend yourself to me doing this when we're trying to create a, do a podcast about hedging, right? And we want to talk about your big bet on Mito Pereira. We're getting there, man. I was. And you go to a bunch of non sequiturs of players that weren't in contention that nobody really cares about at this moment. I was, I was trying to be modest and talk about other bets that didn't win, but I, I had a very good weekend up to, up to that point um, or a good week. And so it was going to be a good tournament for me regardless. And I felt like I was in a very good position. Irregardless. I felt like I was in a very good position because I had big bets on Mito Pereira and Cam Young. And I also had um, my, I had the Calcutta exposure on Fitzpatrick plus like a few outrights on him too. So like, I think it was maybe to win 90,000 in outrights, but the Calcutta, exposure is like 200 like a winner the winning stake there's like 240,000 but I have to divide that with my partners with the Calcutta partners um and I also had some Zalatoris I took either after round one or round two to win I think like 60,000 so basically for me to not hit an outright my I thought it was basically gonna have to be like answer oh also I had like a betted bet online but like just one bet to win 50,000 on Bubba before the tournament so I was thinking like you know I had some cushion there I, I was I was like, I'm sure answer is just going to be the guy to win it now. But, um, you know, and I thought JT, you know, being seven shots back, like, you know, he, he definitely can throw a low round um, together. But when he was, um, when he was started slow, I think after hole six too, I mean, he was one over par, two over par. I, I kind of forgot over. about him. <laughs> yeah. And I so think he got to like eight or nine down at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, and then, you know, I mean, I felt like I had all these insurance policies against Mito. So um, I felt pretty good about it. There was like a one point, no there was one point person you would felt, I felt a very little reason to hedge because you basically had a bunch of natural hedges that you'd put on it at a good value. I started worrying a little bit when, when JT, for example, like after 12, when, when he made par in 13, I thought, I was in a better position there because he that's a hole you need to birdie basically um what was it he birdie did he birdie 16 i'll say when jt j when jt was in the bunker on 17 i felt a lot better because that's a bird that's a hole that more than half the field was going to birdie i think and um 
obviously 18, like, you know, I, I, that if he had made that putt, I would have felt not very good at all um, for birdie because 18, it was playing really, really tough. So, I mean, yeah, I felt like it, it, it was when Mito, when Mito collapsed in the last hole, I did not feel very good. So, yeah, I mean, obviously like, just to state because, like, you know, it would have been a very, very big payday for me. Imagine if I hadn't um, bought Justin Thomas, who uh, honestly we bought for slightly higher than what our model. So you had him. Said. He, he was a negative EV buy for you. He was. Damn. Yeah. Just I mean, he why? turned out to be a negative EV buy. I think when I bought You're him, bluffing. No, no, I wasn't bluffing. I, um, you know, I have a strategy in the Calcutta that I'm likely going to change for the next Calcutta because there was, we, I just had way too much exposure. This Calcutta, like did you, did you sell so some much. off after, did you sell some off afterwards or anything? Like what, no. what percentage of your team are you? I was, uh, I was a, a little, I was like a little over four fifths. Jesus, man. Yeah. Would you have been able to pay if you'd lost them all? Of course. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, but you have that much, well, I guess in crypto, not cash, but. I mean, it, it's, um, I, I don't think that it's likely with that strategy that I lose all of it. I mean, it's certainly possible to have offers, man. It's, like, it's certainly possible, but I, I own so many golfers and I owned a lot of golfers that were good golfers. Um, but yeah, for sure. And, and, I, and obviously I, want, I don't want that to happen. That's why I kind of feel like <clears throat> one of the issues that I have in the Calcutta is like sort of understanding where value is going to come from. And sometimes I get a little impatient early, which causes me then to have to be price enforced a lot late versus like look for bargains kind of late. It's, it's a, well, there's fewer bargains late. I think in general is <clears throat> this, this actually, I, I, the PGA, I disagree. I, well, think, I most, think, I think that's okay. Fewer bargains just based on the, based on the structure, but it, maybe there's golfers. I think that's the bargains for you then are coming just because your um, or Will's model has those golfers higher than the rest of the Calcutta participants. Would you agree okay. with that? Yes. That's okay. where, that's where the value comes right. from. So, so you don't, when you say you don't, okay. I thought like I, I meant from sort of a systemic perspective, like, more value, more, more value is going to happen earlier. And that's basically always the case. Usually I think that's true, but what I have found in the last two Calcuttas is that there is like some, maybe it's just been happenstance, but there is some level of fatigue on some of the, where people like don't are, because there were, there were guys, there were players that I let go undervalue in this, in the PGA, because I, I was going to end up owning three quarters of the of the field, and I was I like, "You already did, yeah." I own. I I had five hundred of one twenty something, right? So it was it was, uh, yeah. Anyways, I mean, look, I'm looking back at the Calcutta, like you know, at the beginning. Let's see, my cumulative impl implied pot size for the after the first bid was one point. 246 like 1,246,000 although that's basically could just be based on I mean that's just based on one like entry so if I was low or high on him that would be if, you know but, but let's say we get a four golfers in so we're at like 1.15 million basically and it grew pretty much steadily um plateaued a little bit like three quarters of the way through but ended up at 1,259 so I mean I think that's pretty standard like I don't think we have as crazy pot growth in terms of rate of growth as we did in the first few Calcuttas because people are understanding this and baking it in a little more, uh, the pot, the pot growth. And so, um, but so I, so, so I, um, this was the first Calcutta where I was off on the dynamic pot size relatively significantly at, um, at a, at a, you know, past the midpoint of the Calcutta. Meaning had, what you expected it to be at the end? I expected the pot size to be about 1.35 at one point. 
So you thought there'd be more pot growth or was, was that what the cumulative implied pot size was at that moment? That was the cumulative implied pot size based on my numbers or Will's numbers rather. At that point. So how, based on who had been auctioned off so far? Okay. Also, I mean, but you, you also said, you also said you have entries that had 50% EV and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I would say that, that, you know, that means you're, you're off market, which makes it harder to know the pot size. But if you're directionally yeah. correct, as you have been in these Calcuttas, then, you know, well, you but, can make but it work. That, again, that my, what I'm saying to you, Rufus, if you listen to what I'm saying is that that is probably why, and that, I mean, absolutely why there were so many bargains in my mind late because the, it happened that a bunch of golfers that I was over market on happened to be the ones that were going to be auctioned late. And therefore <laughs> my dynamic pot size was higher. And I also saw a lot of bargains. Later. Right. Cause at the beginning, the guys that went, you thought should have been cheaper than they went for. Right. Like the guys that you were low on went first. And so you were like, wow, you know, this one for that much, like, so you're, I mean, that's why your pot size is higher. This is Calcutta nerd talk. Yeah, it is. Okay. Like, can we depart the is Calcutta? Congratulations, okay. Jeff, on your, your big victory. Thank you so much, Rufus. Thank you. It was a very, it was a very good sweat. And I just remember thinking like Will and I were like texting and it's like, well, it's a good thing you overpaid for JT because that like Mito, uh, the end of the Calcutta would have equally been feeling as bad for me as it was for you from a betting perspective where it was like, seemed like everything was in line and great. And then all of a sudden it all fell apart and what, Although you still you still would have made something off of it, like whatever. I don't I don't know if I would if I didn't have JT. No, no on on Mito. Like I don't oh, get yeah. you, you get participation points for Mito being in the top three, whereas I you know with my outright bet don't get anything if you get second or third. True. Okay, but so, yes, it was a pretty still a pretty big swing for you. So tell us about the pre-tourney golf uh, bet that you had on Mito. So I bet on him three hundred to one at circa, which. Like the funny thing is I'm actually, I was actually lower on him than sort of most of the golf analytics crowd. I made him like 210 to one, 220 to one. I know they're like, I think data golf had him at like 115 to one. So I got 300 to one um, early Monday morning and uh, got it somewhere else as well. Got some each way on him over in Europe, but the biggest positions were about circa one and a different one with the betting partner. And so, um, yeah, stood to win probably like, I think, Close to three hundred thousand had he won. Okay. On, so, what was my? I wonder what my final volume was for the tournament. It was good. A good tournament for volume. Seriously. And so, Jeff. Oh, sorry. I thought you were thinking about looking at what your volume. Was I'm pulling like. it up, but you said and so and so. Well, so you you ended up not winning that, right? And you were going into. Sunday, you were in a great position to win, which yes. led you to think about hedging, right? And um, I think you posted I, that ticket. I never thought about hedging. I'll be honest there. Okay. And you know why I never thought about hedging? Because <laughs> I made me, I showed value, a little bit of value on Mito going into the final round. I priced him at plus 141. What was he going into the final round? Plus 160. Okay. What I did was I abstained from loading up more on Mito. It, and so, um, I, I just didn't like, I looked at looking down the board, actually, I, no, no, I did hedge a little bit by, but it was more because I shoot a little bit of value on some of the each ways for, um, for young and Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris, like, like it was like 2% edges, but I was like, you know what, this is a good, these are good hedges. Although Cam Young was not a hedge at all, but I just had some gamble in me. And, uh, I like it when you have a little gamble in you. Yeah. So I knew answer or JT would not be good for me, but at the, but I was feeling good because I, I knew it was going to be a, uh, it was going to be a significantly profitable weekend regardless. And had Mito, had Mito or young one, it would have been the biggest profit for me gambling ever on, on wow. one. Wow. As such, it was still the biggest week of the year for me. So I can't complain too much, but it still felt sickening. Like when you thought, you know, because I don't know, it's still disappointing because it's, it would have been a huge win with 
and, and that's a pretty big swing. And it looks like, I mean, that putt on 17 looked like it was going dead center, middle of the cup and just died an inch short. Okay, so can we get to the point of this whole? I've been wondering why we're taking going so slowly. You're asking me these questions. You're asking me to talk about my feelings about the bets and what I had going into it. I don't even know what to say right now. <clears throat> so um, you posted this ticket on Twitter. Yeah. And that caused people to ask you about hedging, which then caused you to go on to Gil's show talking about hedging, which then caused you to build a calculator for unabated on hedging, correct? Yeah, I don't know if it was all cause, all, all of that cause and effect, but certainly the discussion on hedging was the cause of me exploring the calculator and building the calculator because it made me consider the discussion on hedging was a very intelligent conversation, made me actually consider it a little more um, because generally I, I felt like, you know, I'm underbetting my bankroll in general. And so I, assume that hedging is never really, you know, hedging at negative EV is never really going to be the right move for me based on where my bankroll is and how much I'm betting. So, um, but it was really cool to actually kind of look into scenarios and quantify it and sort of see, see how, it, how much it's driven by bankroll size um, relative to the actual EV of the hedge, what sort of premium you're paying to hedge um, as well as, is how much you stand to win relative to what your bankroll is. And so I think it's a, like, I actually think the, cal the calculator is, is, is really cool. And when I was writing the article last night, I, I, I kind of had fun playing with it and sort of seeing how sensitive it was in certain areas to certain things. So can we talk for a second at a high level mm -hmm. about the concept of hedging, right? So the, the idea of hedging is that you've, you've put a bet on, I, most likely some sort of a long-term bet, like a future, and the actual circumstances have changed to the point where most likely you can lock yourself into a win, right? A, a material dollar or a dollar win based on betting the other side of that bet. Correct. Technically you could also hedge if your bet is losing. It's just, you're just going to lock in a loss. Right. But, and that you could do in certain situations where you really think your bet is a loser and you think ultimately the, like again, and in in that one, some money. What's that? You want to get some money out. Actually, I saw a situation last year on FanDuel. I bet like the Jets to win the division or something. And after like five, three or four or five games, I had them as like a zero point one percent chance. And like FanDuel for like a two hundred or maybe it was a five hundred dollar bet was still offering me like seven dollars for a cash out. I was like, that's a. I was like, that's a good. That's, you know, I should. This, <laughs> there's value taking that. So that, that's an example of hedging, but that's actually, it's not hedging for hedging. That's not, that's taking a positive EV bet basically. So, so I think when we talk about hedging though, we're talking about taking a bet you know to be negative EV to lock in profit. I don't think that's what the standard. So you, sometimes I think you need to like divorce yourself from how intelligent you are and talk about what not very apparently what's that? i said not very apparently well here, here's what i think is like you are already putting a definition to hedging that i don't think most people would have right uh, like no, i think that i think in the gambling world that's how most people view it i mean if you're i don't think they're saying oh you know i had this bet like and now i can get the other side for value i mean that's just a bet you'd make because there's value and you're going to bet more because it's a hedge but i think and I don't, and I think everybody says that's a good bet to hedge. Like that's a time to hedge. And in fact, the, the, the betting calculator or the hedging calculator, so, if, if you show, so if you show, let me finish. If you show a positive EV hedge, it's always going to have you, or positive EV hedge bet. It's always going to have you hedge completely out of it. Um, and, and actually if it's more positive, EV, it's it, going you're going to, gonna, right. That's my point. So there's no discussion to be had there. The, I, the interesting discussion is I'm when it's a negative EV bet. What I'm trying to do is simplify this for our listeners and give I them- think I think more of the intelligence of our listeners than you do. Maybe. It's not a matter of how intelligent they are. It's a matter of trying to uh, communicate content 
in the most digestible format possible, which is like kind of the job of us as podcasters. So at a high level, right? The first rule of hedging is if you don't can, talk about hedging. No, if you can hedge out, you can get the bet with positive EV, with a positive EV bet, right? You should almost always always do it for the max amount. You should you should always do it. Right. Unless you just really, really want like risk in and a sweat. So basically but, in but this it is, it is always in your financial best interest to hedge out if you can. It and by and by by hedging out the full amount, you're basically saying you're flipping it now so that if your original bet wins, you don't win a cent anymore. No, no, I wouldn't say that. Like so if it's zero EV, your your best thing is to hedge so that you win the exact same regardless. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's do a, for instance, right. Because I think we're talking about, um, what, well, okay. Let's do a, for instance, with your, your Celtics bet. I'll pull up the unabated calculator. Jeff, what do we, what do we estimate your bankroll to be? Or we don't even need, we don't need a bankroll. We can just give me a number let, and you can give me a stand to win. That is a fraction of your bankroll. Let's so, not so. do this in, in the exact denominations of what's bet because okay. let's, let's use a hypothetical. Sure. Let me give I you that. Hypothetical me, bankroll. Let me pull up my hypothetical bet on the Celtics with the hypothetical bankroll. I'll divide everything by uh, a number that will make this a little bit easier to do. Uh, okay, so what is our current bankroll? So the Celtics, okay, this is, this is actually going to be very, very complicated. So maybe I will just go off my Celtics uh, championship bet because I don't think I think it makes it otherwise. Actually, let's even simplify this. So I have um, plus seventeen hundred on the Celtics to win the Eastern Conference, and let's say I have eight hundred seventy-five dollars on that to win fifteen thousand. Okay, so you get fifteen thousand plus the eight seventy-five back. Yes. So 15875. Okay. And let's say, I mean, and what is the probability of the Celtics winning the series at this point? Uh what will the live market be approximately. We we can look because there's gonna be a series line. I think Circa will have a series price. I think the series prices should be up. Circa uh, has those yes no's. You don't own them in Calcutta, do you? They don't have the Celtics up yet. Dude. Circa does not. I'm looking on Chris. They don't have it up yet. I'll see if Circa has it real quick. I mean, the Celtics were like minus 180 going into tonight. Oh, I got it. Okay, minus 1,200 plus 795. So, so we'll say 90. that's 90% basically. Okay. 90%. What is your current, what's the bankroll relative to that? So if you're standing on 15,875, what do we want to say for bankroll? A million? 500,000? I was going to say less than that. 100,000? I'd say, what's that? You want to say 100,000? Yeah, I would say 100,000. Okay, so you stand to win like 16, almost 16% of your bankroll. <clears throat> and you can hedge out, let's say the, tr the true price, you can hedge out, um, you can get plus 795 on the heat here. And we say it's a 90% It's ninety percent chance. So the optimal hedge, according to the, the nifty calculator, you should be betting $266.75 to win $2,120.63 on the heat plus 795. Now, if we put in nine plus 900, which is exactly the same as 10%, right? That's 10%, which is, which is we're saying a zero EV bet. If you had a zero EV hedge, um, it recommends 1,587.5 to win 14,287.5. So in that case, you are in a situation where um, if you will, let's see, now I have to think about the maths here. You're locking in a profit. Um, you basically win the same. In, I, so I would think you win the same. How, in both. How, okay. All right. So if we, I got, I got it. So if, if, if for whatever reason, if we said the win probability, <clears throat> 
was if somehow we were able to get say plus eleven hundred, this would then say to hedge it all, right? Well, no, it would it would say then it becomes a full Kelly calculator that would say mm -hmm. like you should bet as much like what enough to make you know your I mean it's a positive EV bet, so you're trying to maximize your full Kelly thing. So it would say at that point bet three thousand four hundred and six dollars to win thirty seven thousand four sixty two. So literally to be in a position where so Rufus, well, what's what is the what is the calculation? Like I know it's not that simple, but like what explain to me like I'm a two-year-old, the actual calculation that you use when it's a negative EV bet to come it's up with the same, it's the same calculation you use when it's a positive EV bet. So what what you're doing. Normally, we think about maximizing your expected return on things, but what you actually want to be doing is maximizing um, your expected bankroll growth, which is the same as the log. Well, okay, I shouldn't say log because then that that you're, if you're a two-year-old, you won't get that. But I don't know if I can explain technically what I'm doing without. I think you can use log. My, my two, Charlie, you're, my you're, you're, that's okay, log. that's that's awesome that Charlie knows that. You yeah. are basically we are fi we're finding we're maximizing the. Um, your expected, the expected value of the logarithm of your bankroll. That's what we're doing. So we get to do some, some calculus, some derivatives. <clears throat> I don't I, understand it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, okay. Do you, you've heard of the Kelly criterion, right? Oh, Rufus, please. That is exactly what the Kelly criterion is. The Kelly criterion states that you should maximize the log of your expected bankroll. That's, it's it's your the Kelly criterion says you're interested in the, the, the geometric you're you're interested in the average geometric return not the average arithmetic return of your bets. So because as as I think a lot of you know um, maybe you don't though the Kelly criterion um, a guy named Kelly in 1958 came up with it basically John says John L Kelly a Bell Laboratories engineer um, I read the Wikipedia page earlier this week. He, um, have you read it, 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 it says, sorry, have you read Fortune's formula? I've not, but I was going to say, explain that the Kelly criterion basically says that, um, it says how much of your bankroll you should wager, um, given your probability of winning a bet and, um, and the odds offered in a way that will maximize your expected bankroll growth. Basically, that'll grow your wealth the most, like but it assumes that you actually know what the true probability is, have an unbiased estimate of that. And so um, that's why most people should not be betting full Kelly because um, you're much more likely to overstate your edge than understate it. And so this basically is using that concept here. I had to actually, there isn't a formula for what I'm doing here. I had to actually do derivatives and um, by but hand. Kelly, <clears throat> but Rufus, wouldn't Kelly tell you not to hedge? No. Ke well, why? Kelly, Kelly says you should hedge if the amount you stand to win is very significant in relation to your bankroll. The whole point here is that, that there's no, it's not a black and white answer. I mean, there is a black and white answer for each, each you know, thing you, you put in, but, but there, there's no rule never hedge. If I bet, if I had bet five hundred dollars to win one hundred and fifty thousand on Mito Pereira, and I had a ten thousand dollar bankroll, I one hundred percent would hedge. Like at that point, your your best move is to hedge almost regardless of the price. You're not price sensitive at all. Your demand is very inelastic, and you could take a really really negative EV bet. Um, I would, you know, and <laughs> I can literally like plug it in. Like let's say if you had a ten thousand dollar bankroll, Rufus, I, you realize that you using the calculator that you built to justify your arguments is probably not the okay but jeff jeff the calculator i built is actually it's math this is not like probability i mean this is like this is i'm 100 stand by it and it is correct math um it it is telling you I what... have to like relook up kelly criterion in terms of like because i know the example that i remember learning about it was like the horse racing example where you kind of know the true odds of each horse winning and it's right. what's the optimal amount to bet on each of them. And Jeff, what we, we are assuming the true, the odds you put in the probability, this assumes the win probability you put in is a true win probability. It is an unbiased win probability. 
If you take a market win probability, no big market, that'll be a pretty good estimate. Um, so Jeff, to give you a sense, if I had a $10,000 bankroll, remember I had Mito Prayer 41.5% to win going into the final round. If I had bet 500 to win 150,000, even if I had to lay minus 200 on Mito not winning. So I make the price of Mito not winning minus 141, I'm laying minus 200. They still recommend um, I risk 85,300 to win 42,650 there. Versus if, if I, you know, could have gotten minus 150, they'd recommend I wager 87,375 to win 58,250. I'm still, wait, I'm still risking the same thing. Like at minus 300, I'm still risking $81,000. Like that is how, because I, a $500 bet when I, at 301 odds, when I have, actually, it doesn't matter what odds, a, a bet that stands to win 150,000 when I have a $10,000 bankroll, um, at that point, you are like hedging is like always the right move. Um, and in this case, it basically, it's because like, I would never have wanted to bet something for $500 at 300 odds with the $10,000 bankroll. I'm massively over betting it, but you know, don't let one, yeah, I mean, don't compound one mistake with another. You still should, so, you should make the decision that's best given where you are. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. We have had two, and I, I, won't, I won't bring this up because I don't want to bring up demons, but there was, there's something we've always said on this podcast, right? Or there, there's many things that we've always said. But that one, there's seven listeners? The, one of the things we've talked about in hedging perspective is don't hedge a negative, like uh, don't make a negative you give that to hedge. We've said that, right? Yeah, like, that's wrong. I mean, that, that's, I, I think we can say that that, I mean, that is not, that's true in a lot of cases. That's not true in every case. It all depends on your circumstances, what your bankroll is and how much you stand to win relative to your bankroll. Okay, and so what, the, what the EV of the hedge is. And so those things, I would say, think of it as this way. It's like a hierarchy. Is the, is, do you stand to win a, a lot in regard to your bankroll size? Then you should probably always hedge. Um, if, if not, then the, the EV comes in and that becomes a much more, plays much more of a deciding role. So there's times, even if I, with this ticket, Jeff, like, let's say I had a $2 million bankroll and I stood to win $150,000. Okay. Um, putting this in, no, I, I, I make it minus 141. If I was offered minus 150, if I was offered minus 150, I should still hedge bet 12,750 to win 8,500. Like, like, even though that's a, at a nine cent, a negative, I mean, nine, well, it's a nine cents of negative nine cents of value, nine cents of not value. Right. So there are situations where if I can get a price where it's close enough to, to, um, to neutral EV, I should like hedge just a little bit. Like that's, like that's not a large hedge in relation to how much I would stand to win, but that's what's mathematically correct given the assumptions. I'm going to have to um, reread Kelly because I'd like to I would like, oh, I like that. Let it ride when. Uh, yeah, you like, I, li I like that. I, I would like to be able to explain this in a, in a better way than we're explaining it right now. Okay. Here, here's what I, what I said on Gil's show. And I'll say like, if I, if I offered you plus 500 on the, on the Warriors to win the NBA finals, you would take that bet, correct? I actually have that bet also now that we're. Okay. We're so, but if I offered it to you right now. Yes. How much would you bet on it relative to your bank, relative to your wealth? Would you mortgage your house on it? Would you like, um, would you borrow money to bet it? <laughs> I would bet a lot on it. And, but this is like a dumb thing because I also know I could just hedge right away out of it. Okay. Let's say theoretically you couldn't, this is a one-off let's say, okay. Why don't we say I offer you five to one on a one flip of a coin. Heads or tails, you get to call it, you get to pick the coin, you get to bring your own coin. So you know it's not doctored. I give you five to one odds. How much? But I only get to do it once as your only get to do it once. Right. How much? Um, how, 
like relative. I, have, I say this in my speeches, right? You know, like what would I bet on it? Um, you deal with this in blackjack. I mean, this is just an example of right. Uh, what would I bet on? I'd probably bet $100,000 on it. Okay. So, but if you'd bet $200,000, you would have a higher expected value. Yeah. So that's I think math, say, by the way, that's complicated math. What's complicated math? What you just did that I would have a higher expected value oh. from 200,000. <laughs> so I think we can say based on that, that you shouldn't always be trying to maximize your expected value because you come into the risk of ruin issue. Like if I offered you that bet and you put all your money on it, you would have the highest, that's the highest expected value. That's the highest expected profit, highest expected return. But if well, you so kept here, doing this, if you kept doing this, eventually you go busted, you go broke. So, so here's, here's, so I get it now. And I, and I get, and I get why this is what it is. And I was playing around with the calculator. So I'm starting to understand this. <clears throat> so in blackjack, by the way, like Kelly is a huge piece of our betting strategy, right? Yes, because and you know what, Jack, you know what Jack mentioned to me today. He's like, "Look, I actually can use this to show when it's good to buy insurance in blackjack if you have a really big hand, knowing with your with your bankroll, like even though it's negative EV at times, there's times when it actually makes sense to do it, do it for less." But really, this isn't a qu question of Kelly. This isn't a it question. Is a question of Kelly. This is a, yes, I'm not, I didn't, I did not mean to say that because ultimately like, do you know when to take insurance and blackjack? When the count is over three, I don't know. No, I should, I don't know what, what it's when the count's over a certain number, the yeah. true counts over plus three. What is it? Well, I mean, we do the math. I mean, it's a two to one, it's a two to one bet, right? That, um, this is like, you know, awkward blackjack. that I don't know this anymore, but I'm not allowed to play blackjack anymore. But anyway, so irregardless, Right. I think you're right. It might be three. Uh, irregardless, that's just, I'm... it's like two or three. I can't yeah. remember. So irregardless, right. To me, this is a question of bankroll management, right? Because ultimately if um, it's bankroll, yeah. man, I, I kind of think it is because, you know, if you right now, so like we, we, we just did this example, right. And it's like seven ninety five, right? And and it's you know hundred thousand bankroll, but like if I change that to a million dollar, sorry, uh, ten million dollar bankroll, right? You're not gonna hedge any, exactly. But you're probably way under betting your bankroll at that point. Here's the thing, though: would we say it's a issue of bankroll management if it's a zero EV hedge? No, we wouldn't. So if, what if it's negative a half a percent? You could still have had a bet that is not overbetting your bankroll and, and have it be worth it to hedge at a negative a half a percent. So it, I think it- No, I, I, what, so I'm gonna give you tons of credit for this because people say I'm never nice to you. It is a fascinating thing that you've done, but I think what is important for you to unpack for this is that um, most people, that are unsophisticated betters, right? Will will not really know what their bankroll is. That's that's a very good point, so, and so and that's we. I think we could, we need to do something on bankroll. Like, so, and I don't know what my own bankroll is, Jeff. Yeah, the, the well, and I don't either. Like, so the actual start of of this conversation, right, should be about how do we do bankroll management? Because we go back to the hedging thing again, and and what's interesting about the hedging thing is before you threw Kelly at this and did any math at this, our answer was always about how much, and, and anytime you hear people talk about hedging, it's always about how much do you stand to win or lose versus like, is it life-changing? Is it blah, blah? Like, and so inherently, I think people- Correct. What's that? Like, cause uh, like life saying, is it life-changing? is like, how much is that relative to your bankroll? That's basically that's, what this calculator is doing. That's yes. what I'm getting. I'm, you, you can't I, even, hey, I'm I'm you know, you know, Jeff, Jeff, I wasn't sure you were ever going to get to the point. We didn't want to hear, you know, you can't even let me say something nice about you. Like, it's like, it's, it's like a disorder or something. My, my point uh -huh. is, I think you have quantified 
something that people have largely always said, you know, kind of like inherently or intuitively understood, which is hedging is, a re if it's a negative EV hedge, it's always going to be a function of like your utility at some level. And your utility at some level is based on your overall bankroll, which for most betters is their net worth, right? At some level, right? They don't have for professional betters, I'd say yes. I'd say it's your, like, I define it as like my semi-liquid net worth, I guess. Like, like what could I, what could I liquidate in like a month if I had to? Well, but even if you're not talking about a, a sophisticated, like, let's talk about like a total recreational better that bets like, let, let me, Rufus, let's, like, let's I didn't say, say anything. A total record. I just put my finger up. That was supposed to be a respectful way of saying I had something to say when you're done. Okay. Let's say we have a recreational better, okay? That is makes a million dollars a year, has, you know, $10 million in the bank, and, you know, has like a very good IRA and has like whatever, right? Like, and let's say, and let's say that they have a similar bet to what I have on the Celtics, right? Their overall bankroll for betting, they may have quantified it as, well, normally I bet, you know, $500 a game. I want to have at least enough for, you know, a hundred bets. What, what does that make the uh, 50,000? Is that right? Am I doing that math right? 2,000? Yeah. 50,000, $50,000, right? And this, in this order, it would tell them to hedge quite a bit. But I would venture to say that this person shouldn't really hedge because their bankroll is not, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're kind of under betting their life bankroll. And this is like a, good. But they're not professional betters. I would say, and the thing is, here, here's the issue with discussion of Kelly. Like Kelly would say for a recreational better, the optimal bet size on most of their bets is $0. Because you should never bet like aside from the hedging situation, you shouldn't be betting on bets that are expected to lose and the recreational bettors generally are going to lose. So I, I would say for a recreational better, you should define it as basically how much, if you lost, would you not re-up? Would you feel like you needed to make more money and stuff before you would put more money into betting? How much, you know, it's what, it's what, yeah. How much would you lose? Like, would you be done with betting basically? That's like, you shouldn't say, oh, I lost my bankroll. Now I'm going to, redeposit that's Where's, that's not so the it, way i would say it it's it's how much if you lost would you not would it take for you to not be, be better in the in re-recite re, re the kelly formula to me and tell me where the actual uh component of edge is it's i mean it, well the, the formula it's like edge divided by odds or something um i don't i don't know i don't remember what it is exactly but it's so in the in the yeah i think that's what it is in the in the uh in, in your equation, though, you have negative edge, right? So how does your actual calculation work when you have negative edge? Well, because it's about, it's not about, it, because it's about maximizing your expected bankroll growth, your bankroll, not your expected bankroll growth. Like edge just happened, it just happens to be on a standalone bet that if you have negative edge, there aren't any, I mean, that's, that's all there is to it because there's not, no other considerations. But in this case, we have, we, we have these two bets taken together, essentially. Like, yeah. it so doesn't matter. Like, honestly, Jeff, it doesn't matter what odds you bet your, your, your original bet at or anything like that. I just care about how much you stand to get to make. Um, whether you, you whether you'd bet $5 at a gazillion yeah. to one for this. I, I'm going to, I'm going to say that, I'm going to say that you are not applying the Kelly criteria formula correctly oh I, I i could not i could not disagree more strongly with this jeff okay i couldn't like this is 100 percent correct call john kelly i would i would put like i would stake, i would stake all my i would stake 100 percent of my net worth on this being applied correctly okay maybe 99 percent. i don't but i've checked for type what the kelly criteria said about how much you should apply of your net worth question like I think maybe you should like, I mean, Kelly's used like, I think you're talking about just the simple version of it for like uh, just one bet, but it's used. There's some interesting applications in finance and a lot of other things that it's because it really is, is the idea of maximizing your, the log of your expected bankroll. That's, and that's, I mean, that, that's what it's doing. That, so I, 
Rufus, I get it. But the analogy that you made, right, of the um, of the Warriors bet is is uh, is incumbent on me making a decision to make a bet, right? Where the bets, the bet, I'm putting money at risk. I'm making that decision. In the example of the uh, Celtics bet, I've already put that money at risk. So I'm now making a decision basically to take some of that risk off with the idea at a negative EVD, EV with the idea of, you know, basically growing my, you know, like maximizing the, the, the opportunity of, of, of sort of like, and, and I'm, I'm kind of interested to, to dive into this more and, and I'm not going to be able to do it on this podcast because I'm, I'm not, I'm clearly not versed in Kelly as well as I should be at this moment to have this argument with you, but. Can I really quickly go back to that example I gave about the five to one coin flip? Let's say you said you would bet a hundred thousand. Let's say you happen to bet 200,000 on it. You were like, got it irresponsible. And then I said, Hey, you can hedge back on the other side at minus 200. Would you take that? Um, it's a negative EV bet because it's a coin flip, but you originally got five to one. Right. Think about an ARB. No, I get it. I think that's a, I think that's a good, I think that's a good what analogy an, to it. What an ARB can do for you <laughs> is essentially um, one side of it might be negative EV, but, but let's say I bet, I'll over bet my bankroll on something that's plus 500 and then, but is the other it, side is of minus it, 200, what you have is a bet that's effectively going to be, it's going to be at a, be, a, a better price than plus 500. It's going to be smaller. But, Rufus, but isn't, isn't the um, main point there that I, I made the bet initially that overbet my bankroll? And so now, now you're, what's up? Yeah. It, well, in this case, probably. So like, um, it doesn't Rufus, have to be that way. This is an extreme example. We like it doesn't have to be that way. I think often but, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. Let's go to a simple example right now where you hand me a you do the same thing with the with the coin and and you say, but you're only allowed to bet five dollars. And I'm like, okay, you give me five to one and five dollars. And then you say to me, Oh, wait, but you can hedge back now and lock in like two dollars or whatever. I'd probably be like, no, nah, of course no you wouldn't there. Right. Right. You should so, not like, but that's, that's another extreme example, but I mean, the, the point is, and believe it or not, if you, let's say you, especially if you have access to like exchanges where things, where you can, I guess, trade in and out of positions without paying a huge premium, yeah. like hedging, I actually believe this now that hedging can actually be a useful thing to do um at times without overbetting your bankroll just if you're able to hedge it very low cost um and i i, I was i was convinced there was someone making that argument on twitter and at first i was unconvinced but after actually going through examples on the calculator i i'm i'm convinced a little bit because it's literally saying for me if i had a two million dollar bankroll i would still i should still buy something you know hedge something at a you know, at a negative 1% edge or so, despite the fact that a $500 bet on a 300 to one edge, Jeff, is not over betting my bit or a $500 bet at 300 to one odds is not over betting my bankroll. Um, and I actually, to know that you need to know what edge I had. But the thing is, the beauty of this, Jeff, is that I don't know if you're paying more attention to your phone or me at this point, but I'm listening, but, but the calculator doesn't need to know what edge you had on your initial bet. It doesn't even need to know what odds you had. It just needs to know how much you, you stand to win, including getting your stake back. And so I could have overbet my bankroll to, you know, with a $500 bet to win 150,000, if I made it a 0.1% edge and had a $2 million bankroll, or I could have vastly underbet it if I had a like a hundred percent edge or something like that, 50% edge, whatever. Um, and Yet it's still like even despite underbetting the bankroll, if I get a very very small negative EV hedge available, 
I still should hedge a little bit there. Like the thing for me is that I didn't have a small negative EV bet available. I only had a large negative EV bet available. So Rufus, are you going to hedge? Is this going to change the way that you bet? Probably not just because I don't have access to, I mean, to a low cost way of hedging. I do think when exchanges open in the US and like sport trade is gonna be opening later this year, um, which I'm an advisor for, and I'm actually Captain Jack was in their office today and, and toured and saw their product. So I'm kind of excited about it, but um, that's, that's launching, uh, although that's New Jersey um, and I think a few other states. I think that there's a few other exchanges that are gonna be coming on board. I think exchanges are going to make, I think exchanges would change the game a little bit there potentially if they had enough liquidity. So you're, you're often going to be able to be in situations to hedge. Yeah. I mean, the thing is for me with sort of a larger, like someone who's underbetting his bankroll, um, hedging comes down to how little of a premium I'm paying for the hedge. But if someone, is you know stands you know someone's betting a lot more of their bankroll then you know they're a lot less price sensitive and it's you know and so they're going to be more likely to hedge even if it's not even if they're getting like reamed on the and they're paying a large premium there so for me it's going to come down to the cost of the hedge and so if like i know that you know if i had good access to betfair and didn't have to pay gazillion dollars in commissions, you know, or the, whatever the winner's premium where they take 30% of your profit or whatever it is. If you're winning, if you win it, if you're winning better, like, sorry, I'm just going on a tan off on a tangent. I'm just letting you go, Rufus. Yeah. People say never let you go. So I'm letting you go. Never let me go, Jeff. That's something really interesting. Never let me go. Um, okay. So I think the summary to me of this hedging conversation is is really around this like idea that you've kind of created this construct for people to sort of understand when to hedge and when not to hedge it, it, it's interesting that it like largely is not going to affect the way that you bet um because i think that that's kind of a a telltale sign but i'm a professional better i think right it, yeah i mean so I, there should be a toggle in the calculator that says Professional or not professional better? Well, I think that's called the bankroll part. Okay. So in the case of my situation, because I'm a semi-professional better, <laughs> that... that because of the Calcuttas, huh? What's that? Let's, let's put the Calcuttas if you put you from a recreational better to a semi-professional. I mean, I would call myself more than just a recreational better. Okay. I mean, you, you're, you're... But... Betting is not the majority of your income, is it? No. Okay. I mean, otherwise I'd be broke. So, and I wouldn't live in a nice house and I right. wouldn't have nice things. So that's my point. I don't, I don't, I don't depend on the, the income to win, but I, I do think I have some level of most, most, most sophisticated, like I have some level of sophistication in my betting that would make me more sophisticated than a recreational. I think, I think the most sophisticated part of your betting is that you have one book you bet with. And it's the most, the sharpest, it's the sharpest one. Yeah. And I, I still beat them like a rented mule. Good. Just kidding. Just kidding, guys. I don't really do that. Um, I don't want them to stop sponsoring our podcast. You want Adam to get upset at you on the next Calcutta and take all your money. I, I mean, I, I fear for the next Calcutta because I do think I have to go in there with a much different um, bidding and strategy because I think people were like largely trying to hang me out to dry a little bit in this, in this most recent one. So yeah, why were you wiggling? Oh, I was just saying, I was like, let's get back, you know, you know, you, you're going off on these tangents here. All right, well, is there anything else you wanna talk about? I mean, I think, I think we've done the hedging conversation ad nauseum. I think, you know, I'm interested to build out more stuff on this because I, I thought it was a huge win for us to be able to basically put this together in 24 hours. Like the idea was Monday afternoon. It was done Tuesday afternoon. Um, like, like Matt Snyder, who's our head of engineering, like just did a fantastic job. No, it's, it's, a, it's slick. It's, it's a slick thought, interface. Well, and I, I, I think it made sense to like 
I mean, yeah, like I was, I think to capitalize on the attention that my lack of hedging got to like, like to build a product around that, that isn't no, I, no I, product I, like I, that out there. And so, but what I want to see, I try to break it though. I like I'm, to see break things like that. Please do. Like I, I'm, you know, I think you were going to call it breaking it because it could tell you to bet more than your bankroll. No, I'm just going to put like weird characters in there that sometimes break databases. No, definitely break it probably, but, but, or it'll, t- it'll tell you that it'll say, it'll say, let your weird characters ride. <laughs> no, it won't. Um, but what yeah, I want to, what I want to do is I just kind of broke it, but that, that's okay. Well, it's you only on your computer. It doesn't break it for everybody else. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's slick. It's good. Jeff, if you, if you bet, if you bet, um, if you bet hashtag PLO on, actually, that sounds like pot limit Omaha, um, dollar sign, need, percentage um, sign, ampersand, you know what your optimal hedge amount is? What's that? I said, if you, if you I bet, I, I understand your joke. I was, not, I was not, I know. So then you're. One, mark. one suggestion yeah uh, you can do like hovers on all the terms so that people understand that what they are that's a great idea that is a fantastic idea yes. the other thing jeff that i'm interested in building is and and i've been like struggling with some partial derivatives in the last day and and simplifying and solving for x after um is essentially partial hedges not not hedging something partially but Let's say for you with your Celtics to win, let's say your Celtics to win the NBA finals, a partial, well, actually, no, if you have a Warriors to win the NBA finals, a partial hedge would be betting, actually, no, with the Celtics, a partial hedge would be betting the Warriors to win the NBA finals. You could still lose. You could still lose both of those bets, your Warriors and your Celtics, if the Heat, you know, if the Heat beat the Celtics and then beat the Warriors, right? So, it doesn't, it isn't a direct hedge. It's an indirect hedge. It's like if I had bet on JT entering round four, you know, that doesn't completely hedge me. I could still lose that and all the other outright positions I had. And so if you have these like multiple other options available that, you know, don't sum to every possible scenario, how much should you hedge like based on your EV on each of those things, depending on the situation. And I don't know if it's, I know, I think it's solvable with three ways, but I don't know, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out this out. I think I, I tried like Wolfram on it and it broke it, it couldn't do it. But, but uh, one of our um, data scientists, Jake actually said, who, who was a math major and like thinks he solved, the, solved was able to simplify it. So we'll see. So. One area that I think would be interesting to um, have, have you ever listened? To, I know you don't listen to Simmons's podcast, but it's really kind of funny to hear him sometimes talk and think about hedging because he'll like the hedges that he creates are always hedges that end up having like one scenario where he'll lose them everything. Yeah. So it's not a true hedge. It's a yeah direct hedge. I, I wonder and I think it'll be interesting as you as you produce this hedging thing, whether it's like, like how much you should. I'm I'm super interested in what the math looks like, like what the you know what that looks like. And I've been able to solve it myself, like on guess, like basically figure out what the curves are, but not mathematically yet. Like, but I can you know guess and check to find the number that maximizes expect, 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 eh, expected long bankroll. All right. I think that's good for this conversation. Is there anything else you want to talk about? It's very, very nerdy, but I enjoyed it. It actually is. It was, it was pretty interesting. And I, I ultimately, um, I, I encourage people to read fortunes formula, which is a book essentially about the origin of Kelly criterion. And it's uh, by a guy by the name of William Poundstone, who's an incredible writer. And he talks about Claude, Claude Shannon and information theory and the whole like premise behind what brought us um, the Kelly criterion. And so um, read that. He also talks about Ed Thorpe and, and uh, um, it's, it's a great book. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, it's called Fortune's Formula by William Poundstone. Uh, I think that's good for now, Rufus. We look- uh, we made it through a podcast without um, 
being angry at each other, which is it's it's been a while since that happened. So uh, I don't I don't know if that's the case. I think you got frustrated with me at the beginning, or you you or maybe I was just you're acting. I'm trying very hard not to disparage you at all. So that that was probably what was was bringing up my frustration. Jeff, if I if I didn't want to be disparaged, then I wouldn't be I wouldn't host a podcast. All right. Well, that. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys all get, again next week. All the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of Reddit. 